This past Wednesday night, we had 65 teenagers in this room on Wednesday night, hungry after God. And so God is moving in our youth group, and we're fighting for the souls of these teenagers because it's, they're under spiritual attack. And so uh, we want to just continue to fight, continue to speak truth into their lives, combat the lies of the enemy with God's truth. And so if you haven't ever checked out uh, Ignite Student, come join us, man. Don't wait any longer. Come this Wednesday night at 6.30, and we'd love to welcome you in. Uh, as you walked in, you may have received one of these. If you didn't, try to grab one on your way out. Just a little bookmark. Throw it in your Bible. Throw it in a book that you're reading right now. And I would just ask that every time you see uh, this bookmark to, to be praying for our students, to just be lifting them up to the Lord and, and asking uh, that he would continue to work in them, to grow their faith. And he's just doing amazing things. So please keep us in prayer. And uh, just so thankful for a church that supports and invests in the youth. I do want to thank Pastor Rick and the leadership for just allowing this to happen on a Sunday. How cool is this that students are leading us in worship and showing their God-given gifts and talents? And so thank you to Pastor Rick. Thank you to the church leadership and uh, just honor you for that. I also want to honor those who lead our Wednesday night group, our adult leaders. And so we have, I lead alongside my wife, Valentina, and Judy and Emil Mabardi, Kathy Duncan, uh, Ting Him Lo in uh, Belmont, along with Sheila Chan. So we just honor them as well for uh, the investment that they've put into the lives of our students. Can we just honor them? And I hope before the end of the service that, that we'll get to pray uh, as well for our leaders, for our students. And we don't take this for granted. Parents, you have a hard job that you uh, have. It's a great responsibility to raise these students in the Lord. And we're so thankful that you would let us come alongside you and help disciple these students in the Lord. It's not easy. Tom Brady spent 39 days unretired with his middle schoolers and then decided, I would rather go back and get hit by NFL linebackers than continue to be at home with my middle schoolers. So we understand it's not an easy job. It's not an easy calling uh, that you have, but thank you for letting us invest in them. And as Rebecca said at the beginning of the service, I was kind of hoping, like when she said it's student-led Sunday, I wanted like some fireworks to shoot up from the sides or maybe some flames, uh, but Pastor Rick nixed that, said no. But uh, anyways, we're going to get into God's Word, and one of the things that Becca had mentioned at the beginning was that it had been a long road uh, to get here to another student-led Sunday. I can remember uh, vividly calling Pastor Marvin on Saturday, March 14th, uh, before the Sunday, we were supposed to lead a student-led Sunday. I had a message prepared. Students had put a lot of hard work into that Sunday. I said, are we on or are we not? And he said, no, unfortunately, we're not. And just all the things that have transpired since that time, some of you didn't attend this church. A couple of years ago, God has brought you uh, here. There's been pain. There has been trials that, that we have gone through. Uh, but what we continue to remain steadfast in and why we're going to get into the word today to read is because we need to remind ourselves that our God is faithful, that he is steadfast and he is an anchor for our soul. And so that's why we're going to open uh, God's word today to the book of Genesis in chapter 17 is where we'll find ourselves this morning. 
He is the God through all the ages, every generation, all the way back to Abram, who we're going to read about today. The same God yesterday, today, and forever. Genesis chapter 17 is where we've been looking. Abram, to give you a little backstory, Abram was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees. That's like modern day Iraq is the area where he lived. And so God calls him out. He says, I'm going to give you this land of Canaan that I promise you. And he makes him these great and precious promises. Genesis chapter 15, he says, Abram, look up in the stars. Can you count those? He says, those are going to be how many descendants you have. There will be kings that come from you. You will have many nations that come from you. He makes these great and precious promises uh, to Abram. We saw in chapter 16 that uh, Sarai and Abram take a little shortcut to God's plan. And that's what we oftentimes do. Justin talked about that last week when it's like, okay, God, you're not really working on my timeline here. Could we get this thing sped up a little bit? And Abram and Sarai take a shortcut to God's plan. And with Hagar, uh, they have Ishmael. And so now Abram does have uh, a son, but it is not the son of promise that God has made the promise to him. And so now we are in chapter 17. 13 years have passed, keep in mind, from chapter 16 to 17. And Abram is now 99 years old, raising a 13-year-old Ishmael. You think you don't have the energy to run around with your teenager or your middle schooler? Abram's 99, and he has a 13-year-old son. And so one of the favorite things uh, that we get to do on Wednesday nights with our students is we dive into God's word. And we believe that God's word, it's not just words about God, it's the word of God, the living word. It's a timely word for all generations. And so as we go through this today, I'm trusting that the Lord is going to speak to us as a church and have a word for us. Uh, and so let me just pray. This is one thing that we encourage our students to do as well. Before you open the Bible, before you get into it, just pray. Say, God, can you open my eyes? Can you give me understanding to what you want to say? So would you bow your head this morning as we pray? Lord, would you uh, just make sense of your word to us today, God? We trust you that you have the words of life. And so we are asking you today, God, would you just remove any of the blinders that might be on our eyes or on our hearts so that we might see you for who you are? God, we thank you for your word, and we trust that you will do a work in us today, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. And so we go verse by verse, and we're just going to dive into this and say, Lord, teach us your word. So uh, Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 when Abram was 99 years old, he's an old man, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make a covenant, make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face. Now, this is the first mention of God by this title. God introduces himself to Abram as God Almighty, El Shaddai, God the Most Sufficient One. It's almost like he wants to remind him, yo, it's been 13 years, just want to remind you that I am God Almighty, that the promises that I've made for you are still true, and that I am the most sufficient one. So God just reminds us of that right up front. Walk before me and be blameless. What does that mean, walk before me and be blameless? 
We know that Abram wasn't perfect. He had his moments of faithfulness and his moments of faithlessness, just like we do, right? And so we say a lot of times at Ignite that it's not about perfection, it's about direction. And so Abram is moving in a direction of faithfulness and obedience to God. So God says, walk before me, almost like uh, how a student acts differently out when they're not around their parents. Like we see that students act a little bit differently when they're around their parents versus when they're at youth group or maybe by themselves. God is saying, you are walking your life in plain sight of me. I see it all. And so walk before me and be blameless. And so Abram seeks to to live this life of faith. And I love this. I love that at age 99, God's calling Abram to walk with him. Tell me you're too old to, to walk with God, to be used by God. That's not true. That's not true. God would say at 99 years old, Abram, I want you to walk with me. And so you're never too old for God to call you and to use you and to shape you. And today could be a day that you say, I'm going to walk with the Lord in love and obedience. Abram's response, he falls on his face in verse 3. I love that. There's just this posture of humility. There's this posture of reverence. Like, whoa, I am standing before a holy God. I know who I am, and I know and I see who God is. And so there's a falling before God in humility. That's worship. That's a response to who God is. And I pray that that's our heart for worship at Mount Hope, that we would just uh, fall on our faces before God. Say, God, you are holy. You are holy. And so that's Abraham's response. We learn from that. Verse 4 Uh, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. He says it again. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you land for your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And so God makes these extravagant promises to Abram. And also in the most baller move of all time, he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of the multitude or father of nations. And I can't help but think that Abram must have been embarrassed leading up to this time, right? I mean, he's exalted father. And I can imagine caravans of people coming into his area and them saying, hello, and Abram greeting them from afar. Say, what's your name? My name's Abram, exalted father. And where are your children? Well, I I don't have any. I don't have any. And so God, in that moment, he's given him Ishmael. And so that's a son of the flesh, but he's holding on for a son of promise that God has given him and changes his name. I love this, that God oftentimes puts a purpose in your life, and then he's going to say, hey, I want to stretch your faith, right? So he said, I'm calling you father of the nations, 
Abram's like, I'm not even father of any, never mind father of many. Could you just please, uh, can I get some grandchildren, maybe some great-grandchildren before you start naming me these extravagant names, God? There's some faith that needs to be said, even in the way that he would express his name to others. Oh, wow, you're the father of nations? What, watch what God will do through Abraham now as his name has been changed. And so God oftentimes will put a purpose and a plan on your life, and then he's going to say, hey, let me stretch your faith. Watch what I can do uh, in your life. And so uh, verse 9, we pick up. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And as I read that, if you weren't awake, you are awake now. You're like, what is this on a youth Sunday? Student-led Sunday. I know you woke up this morning. You were like, man, I hope teenagers lead the church service today. And I hope we talk about circumcision. So I hope James is preaching on but it's God's word, and there's something for us to learn in this, amen? And God is a, a keeper of his covenants, and every time he makes a covenant in scripture, you see him back it up with a sign. So he attaches a sign to his covenants, right? Noah, he made a, a covenant with Noah. What was the sign of the covenant? It was a rainbow. Every time, wow, look at that beautiful rainbow. It's a reminder that God is not going to flood the earth again in that way with water. Or you have Moses, the law of Moses, given the, the Mosaic covenant, there is the Sabbath given as a sign for that. And I'm sure right now, uh, Abraham's thinking, God, could I please just get a rainbow? I would be so happy with just a rainbow right now for the sign. Any way we can like miss what you just said there and we can just look at beautiful rainbows. No, there's a, there's a purpose behind this. And I want to be clear that this isn't God inventing circumcision. This was something that happened uh, in other generations, in other places, the, the land of Egypt, for instance. But it is a, a social practice that God is taking and redeeming as a, with deep spiritual meaning to it. So he's taking something that's done by some of the other lands, some of the other generations, and he's attaching deep spiritual meaning uh, to this sign. Just like the Christians, right? We didn't invent baptism. Uh, that was something that has happened for a long time. The Jewish people would baptize themselves before going up to worship, but it is a outward sign of something that has happened inward, an inward reality. So God is attaching a sign to his covenant uh, with Abraham. And the whole idea behind circumcision is this, that the life of the flesh that used to rule me and you no longer rules us. That's the point of circumcision, that the life of flesh that used to rule us no longer rules us. Jesus says in the New Testament 
that if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And so as we live the Christian life, there is a denial of the flesh that is happening there and saying, as Psalm 51 says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In my sin did my mother conceive me. But if you're a Christian, the scripture says, you're no longer the old you. You've been given a new nature. But that new nature and that old nature are still at war with each other, the apostle Paul says, And so identifying with this sign is saying, I'm no longer ruled by the flesh. I'm going to live a life that is uh, in the spirit, empowered by the spirit, not ruled by my flesh any longer. And this was the sign that God gave. Unfortunately, what happened with uh, the Jewish people and even in baptism is that signs and symbols became sacraments. And so these things turned in, what was meant to be an outward sign of an inward reality now became something where he said, oh, I can receive some sort of grace from doing this action, baptism, circumcision, that I am somehow made right with God without an inner change, without that new nature that I mentioned. And that was never the point of what God said. It's always been a matter of the heart and not a self-righteous work. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says this. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says that circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. It's our hearts. He's talking about removing the stubbornness that's in our hearts, that part of our flesh that says, no, I want to disobey God. I want to I go against his will and his way and his word. And so we're, we're putting that to death, saying, God, I want to live for you. I want to pursue holiness, rebellion against sin. And this is a work that only the Lord can do in our hearts because Deuteronomy chapter 30 says this in verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. So, nope, that's not it. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. And so God is going to say in Deuteronomy chapter 30 that it's the Lord's work. He has to be the one to do the work in our hearts. It can't be something that's done without him. You can write that down in your notes and look it up. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. The circumcision of the flesh was always meant to point towards uh, a life of the spirit, a life that is built in humility, a new birth, and a new way of life. That is what it was meant to point towards. Colossians chapter 2. Do we have that one? Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Paul's describing uh, spiritual circumcision here. He says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, right? We're, we're, we're not living by the flesh anymore, but by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. 
So Paul's saying, as a believer, you no longer live under the influence of the power of your flesh, but now you're called to live uh, in the spirit. And so a question this morning that I think this brings up, and, and we have to ask this is, believer, does the Lord have your heart? Does the Lord have your heart? Or is it just an outward sign of something that you're doing? Does the Lord have your heart this morning? Are there places in your heart that have become stubborn towards him? Is he the Lord of your life? Because if he's the Lord of your life, he calls the shots. He's in control. He's Lord of our lives. So are you trusting him to take even better care of you than you take care of you? Because I think oftentimes we can uh, try to take back control of our lives. God, I know how to do it better. He takes better care of us than even we take care of us. And so we trust him with that. And I hope that by the end of this morning, we'll have a chance to ask the Lord to work on our heart. But maybe even now, you want to just ask the Lord to begin to do that work on you. Is there any part of your heart that's not given over to the Lord? Just ask him and seek him for that. Verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, which means quarrelsome and contentious. Solid name change here. You're going to go to Sarah, which means princess. That's a good one. I'd rather go from quarrelsome and contentious to princess. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. He said to himself, basically he's saying, God, do you know how old I am? Like, I'm like old, old. I'm on the back nine. I'm wrapping things up here. And you're telling me that Sarah, my wife, who's 89 years old at the time, is going to have a son? Take some faith. And I love that God clarifies the promise here because earlier on he had said that he had promised a son, but he hadn't said it was from Sarah, right? He had said that it would come through Abraham. And so that's part of why Sarah said, hey, it's not working with me. Take Hagar and let's, let's get this son that God has promised us. God clarifies here. He said, oh no, it's coming through Sarah. Love that. Abraham falls on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? The things that limit us do not limit our God. Amen. The, the, the limiting factors that we see in our world, in our own human understanding, do not limit our God. He's the God of the impossible. And Abraham says to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Right? There's almost a little backtracking there of Abraham's, Abraham's faith saying, if only Ishmael could just live before you. God, let's, let's just do it that way. It would be way easier. How many times have you said that? God, could you just bless my plan? Could you just bless this thing, this vision that I have for my life? Instead of doing this great thing that you're talking about, it's just too much. It's too much. And sometimes our vision needs to die so that God's vision might come alive in our hearts, so that God can do a work in us that we never thought possible. God is so faithful in this. Abraham says, oh, that Ishmael might live. God says, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which means laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. 
As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. He's doubling down. He's clarifying the promise. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And then look at the obedience of Abraham here. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. Someone say that very day. That very day, day, there's obedience there. There's uh, believing the Lord and, and obeying. So if the Lord's told you to do something, if the Lord has commanded you to do something, don't delay something in your heart right now that even the Lord has spoken to you. Don't delay. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If we say, oh God, I'm going to just hold, I know you said to do it, but let's, let's wait a week from now, or I'm just not ready to make that decision. If the Lord has put something on your heart, if he has told you to do something, don't delay, obey today. And so Abraham took his son, he, he, he circumcises everyone in his house, Ishmael included. I don't know how he got that to happen. He should write a leadership book. I'd like to know how he got everyone to do that. I guess maybe he went first. Uh, but incredible leadership there by Abraham. But in thinking on that thought of Ishmael might live before you, how many of you students are trusting the Lord with the vision for your future? How many of you are trusting as you head off to school to say, God, what is it that you want? Seniors who are graduating, students that uh, have said, I've been praying and I don't really see an answer to this. Or, you know what? It just seems easier to live for the world. Just easier to kind of conform to what they're asking me to do. And instead, God says, no, student, I have a vision for your life. Don't give up on that vision. Have faith that I will bring it through. Chapter 18. It says, and the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat by the door of his tent in the heat of the day. It's hot. He lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Once again, recognizing holy reverence. One of them is the Lord because it says the Lord appeared. It said, oh Lord, if you have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet. And rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And I love this. And Abraham went quickly into the tent. Some of the translations say Abraham went running. Picture that, a 99-year-old man, like slow motion running uh, to go do something quickly. What does that look like? I don't know. He went to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it, make cakes. And Abraham ran. He's going. He's hustling to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord, once again, doubling down on this promise, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. I can just picture, she's eavesdropping. She's listening through the flap of the tent. She's like, oh, I heard my name. What are they talking about? 
talking about me. And I love this response because parents, have you, you as I read this, you'll be like, oh yeah, that's my children. Um, so uh, uh, verse 10, the Lord said, I'll surely return about this time next year. Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Amen. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. (laughs) Parents, how many conversations have you had with your child like that? Why did you do, why did you take the trash out and like throw it all around the floor of the house? I didn't do that. No, but you did. I literally watched you do it. But I didn't do that. There's just this back and forth that's, that's so funny between the Lord and Sarah. And she laughs in unbelief saying, there's no way. There's just no way. Have you ever laughed at something that God's told you? Have you ever laughed at a plan that God has revealed to you? Have you ever just thought, there's just no way, God, I'm not qualified enough. There's no way that you could use me. And God's like, watch how I work through you. Watch how I get the glory as I work through you and do the impossible. And the Lord asks a piercing question that I want to finish on this morning. He says to Sarah, he says to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? We will see that the Lord, in fact, keeps his promise to Sarah. They will receive the son of promise, Isaac, laughter. And can you just imagine how much joy that brought them? The son that they've been waiting for. They now have the son of promise. The Lord has answered his promise. Just imagine, is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing is impossible. And a few thousand years later, we will see another promise kept through the line of Abraham. And it's where God puts on flesh and Jesus Christ is born of a virgin, another impossible birth, to come and save humanity from sin. The scriptures say that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is a, that's a truth for us this morning. And now you and I, we are grafted in now as spiritual descendants of Abraham because of what Jesus has done. We've been welcomed into the family. Praise God. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? There's nothing impossible for him. We've seen students' lives transformed here at Ignite. We've seen students come in these doors with their heads down, and they are full of guilt and shame and anxiety and depression. And we've seen those things lifted off in the name of Jesus. We've seen uh, miracles happen. In, from July of 2020 to July of 2021, we baptized 17 students just in our ministry that said, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm, I'm committing. This is an outward sign of what has happened inward in my heart. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing is impossible for him. Remember that 
as we go from this place, as we go into our weeks, as you're faced with impossible situations, as you're faced with limiting situations, to say, wow, in and of my own strength, I can't do this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? In your own life, where have you seen that be true? Have you started to lose faith? Maybe you've been praying for a loved one. You've been asking the Lord to save a family member or a loved one, and you've started to give up hope. Or student, maybe that's you that you say, man, this, li- this Christian life is just too hard, and you're in isolation. You're full of anxiety. You're full of depression. Is anything too hard for the Lord? He can transform your life. But he wants our hearts this morning. That's the truth. He wants our hearts. He doesn't just want an outward sign, but he wants us to surrender and give our hearts to him. And so this morning, I want to just remind you as you go from here, just as you go into your week, some promises that have been made for you, believer. I want to remind you of some promises from Scripture that you can cling on to this week as you go. God has promised salvation for all those who believe in his son. Praise God. He has promised that no matter what things look like right now, he is working all things for the good of his children. God has promised comfort in our trials. God has promised new life in Christ that our inheritance is reserved for us in heaven. It's not a treasure of this earth that we look forward to. He promises to finish the work that he started in us. He promises peace when we pray. He promises to supply every one of our needs. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And so today, if you hear the voice of the Lord speaking to you, don't harden your heart. We're going to spend a minute here as we close. These altars are going to be open. Students, parents, adults, Christians, human beings, come to this altar and spend time just talking to the God of the impossible. Spend time talking to the God who can do anything, El Shaddai, the mighty one. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to respond. There's going to be people who will be here to lay hands on you. Uh, if, if that's something that you would like, we just want to pray with you. Even as we sang earlier, Sydney and the team are going to lead us and just say, God, I'm going to make room for you. I'm going to make room whatever you want to do. Any parts of my heart that are hardened towards you or stubborn towards you, I want to just kneel before you and lay those things at your feet because we need you. So I'm going to bow my head, pray, ask you to do that as well. And then as Sydney leads the team, just come forward. Come forward and spend some moments praying uh, at the altar this morning. Lord, we ask you now to show us, to examine our hearts. God, we believe there's nothing that's too hard for you. We believe that you are the God of the impossible. But God, we need you to do that work in our hearts. God, for the person here that's hearing my voice that is going through a difficult trial right now and doesn't know where to turn and just feels the weight of the world on their shoulders, would they just run to you? Would they give those things to you? You say that you want to help carry those burdens with us. God, for the person that is losing faith in you because they feel like you haven't come through on your promise, God, would you give them a new vision today? Give them a new hope. Remind them of what you have done. 
remind them of who you are. God, I pray for our students. God, I pray that you would work in a mighty way. Keep doing uh, what you are doing. Would you uh, not limit it to what you've already done? We're expectant. We believe that you can do greater things and that you will. And so we just ask you now for your blessing on this time. Uh, Teach us your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. These altars are open to spend time in